If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. I like you just the way you are. You're braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Parenting is a sacrifice, it's exhausting, it's expensive, at times it feels thankless, but eventually you die. Welcome to the Kid Doc Good Job Being the Mom podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping mothers and fathers through supporting, enabling, and empowering them in their amazing role as parents. Welcome. So for the next three episodes, we will be talking about nutrition. In this first episode, we will cover general nutrition, then we focus the next two episodes on nutritional challenges. Yeah, I am excited to talk about nutrition because nutrition plays such an important role in helping kids fulfill their potential. And it is an area that creates lots of challenges for many parents. Why are nutrition discussions so important in your prevention discussions? I think nutrition really forms one of the three pillars of health, along with principles of sleep and hydration we talked about. Yeah, nutrition is so foundational, whether you are helping children to thrive in school or in sports or to combat fatigue and headaches. You know, it's interesting that I have the exact same discussion, whether I'm helping a child to be on their A game in school or working on debilitating fatigue and passing out in school. Yeah, quite the spectrum. Uh, What does that foundational discussion look like? And what are the problems common to both everyday school success and those in need of help? Where so much depends on maintaining good fuel for our bodies. So a frequent contributor to the problem of focus in school or fatigue relates to low blood sugar. So we need to improve blood sugar throughout the day by protecting against hypoglycemia or low blood sugar episodes. Some are more prone to these episodes than others. What are the factors that contribute to low blood sugar? Two factors, really. This frequently happens when you go too long between eating and eating food that spikes blood sugar and then quickly bottoms out, which is like a lot of processed foods do for us. Kids have a need to eat more frequently than adults due to their faster metabolism, correct? Definitely. I see kids who haven't eaten within the last three hours show up with ketones in their urine. So their three hours without eating is like my 18 hours without eating with their young metabolism. It's wild. So when they say they're starving after three hours, they really mean it, huh? (laughs) Yes. And some of these kids are literally losing weight after three hours. They become lethargic and cannot concentrate. So going back to the hypoglycemia factors, how do we help these kids? Let's talk about scheduled eating times and when should children be eating? So eating time needs to be more scripted, or at least the opportunity to eat needs to be more planned or more tactical is a term we borrowed from Bluey, where they talk about tactical we. (laughs) So eating every two or three hours, not ever longer than three hours. This is five to six times per day. And we call it the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings eating plan. So you have first and second breakfast, et cetera. And a typical day may include eating at 7, 10, 1, 3, 6, and then a snack before bed. How does that work with kids at school? It does take take some coordinating with the teacher, but these teachers do want their kids to have the best things happen for them. So I think it really just takes an ask. I don't want the child disrupting the class with eating, but I also don't want there to be a conflict between their health and the classroom flow. 
And eating a snack before they can go to recess won't work because the kids want to get out and play. Yeah, with that FOMO, kids prioritize play over everything else, which is great. And so the best time is a natural transition time when the kids are moving anyway and not before recess, as you said. So maybe after recess or as they are moving to the library or computer lab. And each teacher has kind of a great script for the day they post on the wall. And I recommend working with that structure. I tell parents to let me know if they need a note for school to allow them to better fuel their children. Is it unhealthy to schedule eating versus waiting until a child is hungry? I believe that when a child admits hunger, they have been going for a while and are losing weight. Some children are going five hours between breakfast and lunch. So the question is, should we schedule meals versus decide from moment to moment, should I be eating right now? And do I ever even have access to food when I am hungry? So the healthy question is, what is our motivation for eating where emotion plays a role in what we eat? So is food a coping mechanism or a way to fuel our body? If we have a healthy view of food as fuel, then appropriate scheduling and portion sizes are the right answer. And snacking isn't bad? Snacking is not bad in and of itself. We're not giving just anything for snacks. These are mini meals. It's not an excuse for junk. Snacks should be food, apple and peanut butter. Snacks sustained through blood glucose dips throughout the day. So these should be whole food, carbs, plus protein, and that would make a good combination. They should be planned, sustaining quality snacks, meaning we won't be starving and make impulsive eating decisions. So we talked about the timing of eating, making that purposeful. Let's talk about how the kind of food makes a huge difference about their physiology. I often use the analogy familiar to anyone who has made a fire out camping. The logs provide energy for a long time while pine needles flare up quickly and then burn out quickly. So food fuels our body the same. We need to always include whole foods and protein at these times to provide sustained energy. Do we feel like kids who are overly skinny might be allowed more access to food than kids who are not as thin? I think there may be some judgments cast based on body shape, but these principles really apply to all kids. And having meals and snacks, which are really just the mini meals, scheduled every two to three hours. So let's meal plan so they have healthier foods, have less hunger, or less impulsive or binge behavior, which leads to better food choices overall. And when you address low blood sugar, you always couple that with good hydration. Right. When I talk about those who are not performing well, I help them understand the important role of hydration in maintaining good blood volume to deliver energy and remove waste products. This is especially important for those who have any positional dizziness or dizziness on standing up. We all need more water than we get. What is a good water goal? You know, it's hard to make a one-size-fits-all goal based on age, but I say one cup every hour or two for junior high kids and high school kids and then one cup every two hours for elementary kids. So for the older kids, this gives a range of about 64 to 128 ounces every day, including weekends. And kids doing sports and when it is hot need to be on the higher end of the range. The water needs to be in you. You cannot hurry and hydrate before or during practices or games. I joke in part with my athletes and kids who get dizzy on standing that if their urine isn't clear enough that they could get away with not flushing the toilet after avoiding, then they need to be drinking more water. So their urine should be that clear when they are optimally hydrated. Do parents need to buy Gatorade or other flavorings for hydration? No, I say try to stay with just low-cost tap water and water bottles to take to school. And maybe one more plug for adequate sleep. Yeah, we did our, our sleep podcast, but sleep goals for the older kids at 8 to 10 hours per night 
based on whether they are still growing or have stopped growing. And then younger kids are pushing 12 hours per night. Is this a hard ask for someone to commit to? Definitely. I ask for a one to two week commitment. So I say commit to this for one to two weeks to give it a chance. This will give them enough time to feel a difference of moving toward better health. Then if they feel the difference for themselves, they have a choice to be able to sustain it or not. It's like a lot of things. We know the answers on how to be our best self. We just have to choose to do it. So I want them to have an experience, even for one week, to know how good they can feel with enough sleep, food, and water. And then it's their choice to follow for longer. A lot of kids come in with concerns for fatigue and dizziness and stomach aches and headache headaches. And the medical workup for this list of problems is massive. Exactly. So when they are coming into me, it is in large part because they want some lab work or x-rays or intervention different from what they can do at home. And that is totally appropriate. However, I like to start with the basic functional interventions of optimizing health. I like them to keep a two-week prospective journal of symptoms to really hone in on the pattern to their problem versus trying to use their memory with your recall journal. And then I commit that I will use all of the resources from lab to medicine, to imaging, to specialist referrals to make sure we're getting the patient better. Why does food matter? And why does nutrition matter? So nutrition affects quality of life, how they grow and develop for better or for worse. It's how they fuel their body. These are the Legos that they use to build the Lego set of their body. So inadequate nutrition will affect their growth and energy. And food should be something we enjoy. Yes, we should enjoy eating and especially together as a family. This forms habits that are the foundation of later health. So making eating a normal and pleasant part of everyday life. So it shouldn't be hard and miserable. And this may mean some compromise on food choices like we talked about with picky eaters. Yeah, in broad terms, I want kids to get the whole landscape of nutrition naturally as we continue to offer access to all foods without inviting conflict. We want all the vitamins and fiber, and it may mean supplements are used as a safety net for many years. I recommend the Deceptively Delicious book to help with hiding healthy foods among other foods and work to offer fruit and vegetables every chance possible. We say this often in a couple ways. Parents choose what and when, and kids choose how much, or said another way, that parents choose the choices. And I believe that when we do this, children are the beneficiaries of meal planning with optimal energy and nutrition density, and there is less grazing on less healthy food. And we have a lot to learn in American society about preparing food together. We have a dear friend from Italy whose family spent days preparing food together for holiday meals. I wondered at the relationship building that happens during that time, which then culminates in the holiday meal together. There are so many benefits of these scheduled family meals and especially those holiday meals where just it's, a, it's an event. And we want the whole experience with food to be positive from preparation to eating. And we want food to be delicious, Legos, to build the coolest Lego set, the coolest body possible. This takes the right number of Legos and a good variety of Legos for parents and kids as the master builders. Let's talk about the broad strokes that we can paint nutrition with. What is energy density and nutrition density? Thankfully, these terms are pretty self-explanatory. Energy density is the calories per amount of food and nutrition or nutrient density refers to the vitamins and minerals per calorie. So energy density in particular affects weight, moving weight up or down based on how energy dense a food is. 
and nutrient density affects how well our body can perform its vital functions. And our goal is to find food that affects calories and nutrition without going overboard. I mean, famously, Michael Phelps needed 12,000 calories a day to not lose weight while training for the Olympics. And we need to make adjustments based on our kiddos' needs. As an example, milk and soda may have the same energy density, but we need to consider the nutrient density between the two. Yes, and we need to teach our kids, but really we are teaching the family or parents as parents choose the choices. Nutritional issues never occur in isolation in the family, and success requires addressing the entire family. Where do highly processed foods fit into this discussion? We see that more processed foods equate to more weight and more health problems. In studies, we see that even with the same calories consumed, patients gained more weight and had more health problems with processed foods. And the more basic you go, the better it fits our bodies. The more processed you go, the worse it will affect our bodies. That's a great way to summarize processed foods versus whole foods for sure. Would you say the same about artificial sweeteners? Also, parents are hearing that these can be cancer-causing. Artificial sweeteners in and of themselves have not been found to cause cancer, and we have used them a lot with our son who has diabetes. So we try to find natural sweeteners as much as possible, learn to experience natural healthy choices, and then consume artificial sweeteners in moderation, if at all, and be wise. And maybe just a quick basic comment on energy content of each type of food. Yes. So fat has twice the number of calories per gram compared to carbohydrates and protein. And we should mention that all fats are not created equal. Yes. Plant-based fats are much better quality fats than animal-based fats. Is there a place for focusing on plant-based food? So I have recently become an advocate for plant-based diets. And so In a plant-based diet, any movements away from the SAD or standard American diet are beneficial. So over time, a goal to move away from inflammatory foods, egg yolks, cow milk and its products, red meat, more than chicken and more than fish, processed foods. And this is kind of a goal to spend most of our time in the plant-based and whole food space. It should be pleasurable. But per calorie, foods that come from plants are more nutrient-dense. And when we are building this cool Lego tower we call a body, plant-based Legos equate with nutrition. So we need vitamins and nutrition. So we need a variety or there are things our bodies cannot do without supplementing. So per calorie, plant-based foods offer more variety than anything else. Let's spend some time talking about specific nutrition components we need to work on. There are some nutrients and micronutrients that can be challenges to get into kids. Fiber first, what is good for and who is at risk for deficiency? So overall, your intestinal health, of course, constipation, we've talked a lot about in previous episodes. And then just this really helps to nourish our microbiome. And there's just so many things that we're learning about our internal microbiome environment, environment and how it helps us in terms of mental health and just so many areas. So look at their fruit and vegetable intake. Are kids getting them? And when do they last have them? And we can include beans, legumes, lentils as plant-based sources, Whole grains are really helpful. Quinoa is a good one that can be mixed with meat and hidden easily. How important is it that parents model behavior? So this is really important to role model intake by adults. When you they see you smiling and eating strawberries and those kind of things, then they um, will associate those things as being positive. So, so the question you have to ask yourself is, you know, do you eat the right things? And are you eating these things that are a role model for your kids? 
Yeah. Okay, next is calcium. Super important for long-term bone health. How much is needed and how do we get it? So 600 milligrams daily up to adolescence. And then at that point, it's, it's 1,500 milligrams daily, daily through you know, most of your life. And one serving of dairy has about 300 milligrams. Um, and a serving is eight ounces of milk, one regular yogurt, or two pieces of string cheese. And so our goal of two to five serving daily based on age and you can also do an equivalent of plant-based milks. And so you can check the label for amounts, which can vary by product. And if they don't do milk, can we get this any other natural way? Not in any reasonable way. Alternatives are doing a chewable supplement every day if they won't drink milk or an alternative. It takes about a full shopping bag of uncooked spinach equal to calcium in one cup of milk. So watch out for those who are trying to stay thin. Milk is often one of the first calorie sources to be cut out. So vitamin D is next. This happens naturally with sun exposure, but is it enough? Not in Utah. Almost everyone is low during or after winter. So please supplement this with a daily multivitamin in addition. Okay, next is vitamin A. That's in fruits and vegetables. And you can really worry about that in those who have rest restricted diets. What about iron? We find this with kids not wanting to eat meat, which is one of the better sources. So supplement, if not eating iron-rich foods, and supplements don't taste good, but we can work at it. And as an aside, we test for this at nine months of age or at any time a parent is worried. Zinc. Important cofactor in our immune system and other functions. And similar to the same kids who are iron deficient, zinc happens a lot in, uh, in meat and other, other sources like that. Just to restate, you are okay with supplements? Yes, they are a safety net. They don't need to be expensive. You know, don't buy any fancy brands. So just get what the family will use. It can be a store brand. You can supplement vitamins through gummy or chewable. Same with minerals we discussed. And same with fiber like Benefiber. And just as an aside, some kids need Pediasure or something similar just to supplement calories as well. Just as an aside, I remember one of my brothers bulking up for football season and he would... <laughs> Put Pediasure in a blender bottle and then add protein powder. And it was just the nastiest thing ever. <laughs> he, he didn't do it very many times because he got <laughs> talk, got too grossed out. <laughs> the, the, thing, the things that boys playing football do to gain weight is pretty comical sometimes. <laughs> so uh, funny. <laughs> well, we are not trying to replace a well-balanced health, healthy diet, but some kids need this to be healthy. Yes. I think with supplements, there is an extra step and an expense for those without an optimal diet. I think it helps a parent with their goals to nourish their child while not having fights over food and tears at each meal if they're not eating the kind of foods the parents want them to. Yeah. Let's take that thought and segue to our last section on how we can help parents assess their child's eating. Where do we start the evaluation? Start with a dietary history. What does a typical, typical day look like? Are they skipping meals? How is their food variety? Are they getting all the food groups? What are they drinking? Are there any obvious deficits? Are they missing anything major? So that is their intake. What about a child's output? So how much are they moving? Are they moving more than they are taking in? Is there enough you know, food, hydration to make up for movement? We talked about the Michael Phelps analogy. So match their activity with their intake. If you're concerned about them not gaining weight as well, we just need to work on um, saying there's such a busy kid, let's make sure they have enough intake to match what they're putting out. Yeah. 
Then how do they combine that information from home with their well checks? At the well checks, we are good at measuring compared to a growth chart and compared to themselves over time. The growth charts are very helpful. So we look at growth, is weight gain adequate, too much, not enough. And then we have nutrition-focused physical exams, you know, paleness, recurrent illnesses, nail, skin, and hair quality. Are there any signs of problems with nutrition? For example, constipation can be a sign of of lacking fiber. Is there a danger to screening and catalyzing eating disorders? I think with screening and talking about weight and those kind of things, we just have to be really careful with any eating disorder population. But I think done well and using good terminology, we can um, make sure we have good discussions without potentially making eating disorders worse. We are going to talk in the next two sessions about general principles to help, but what is a 30,000-foot level version of how you want to help patients? I think first off, full disclosure, every day I listen to people to try to give them a diagnosis, a solution, to give someone the right answer. And this is my reflex. With nutrition, I need to get away from what I learned is called a writing reflex, you know, a reflex to write the problem. How are you trying to come at this from the patient-parent ownership instead of a writing reflex? In this situation in particular, I want to gain their understanding. What do they see as a solution and what can they change? What are they willing to change? Yeah, inviting change can be daunting. You know, we are looking for small changes versus changing everything all at once. That can be way too overwhelming. And parents want to do what is best for their children, but life totally gets in the way. So I think it's better to build on small habits sequentially, and a solution needs to work for them. And parents worry most about things that are the hardest to control, toilet training, sleep, and eating. Yeah, to some of the hardest things where kids have so much say in those areas, and it makes it even more difficult. So to help with this, some open-ended questions are good. Ask how people eat. Asking about portion control teaching. Asking about hunger and fullness cues that the kids have. As adults, we are good at messing up portion sizes with upsizing things at fast food places and encouraging kids to eat all of their food on the plate. Yeah, and with these processed foods and sugary cereals, many of these foods don't fulfill nutrition goals. So your your body thinks it needs to eat more. So think about pica, where kids are eating dirt because their body thinks it needs more iron. So the body isn't sure what to do so that it needs more of something to fix a deficit. Maybe dirt will help. So it's just crazy, but this is how body works is that if we're missing something, we tend to eat more trying to fix a deficit that, you know, we're not providing for our fam- for our bodies. Yeah. So trusting kids' hunger and fullness cues and let the growth chart tell the tale is key. Yes. And then we can make adjustments if any concerns arise. I think it's important to note that even from infancy, growth hormone will drive increased intake during times of growth spurts. And then they will drop back down at times when they are not growing as much. And parents sometimes get concerned when appetite goes up and down, but this can be natural and normal. Well, this has been an awesome discussion. We will finish by including a couple resources. First is the website, myplate.gov, which has some good general food principles. Thanks, Michelle Obama. And the book, Deceptively Delicious by Jessica Seinfeld. And this is Jessica Seinfeld's wife, but she isn't as funny as he is. Don't take our word for it. (laughs) Check it out. Thank you. Thanks, Em. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to getting together again next time. 
Kid Doc is available wherever you find your other favorite podcast. If you enjoyed what we shared with you today, be sure to like us and subscribe to help other listeners like you find us. On our website, we will add supporting materials and other helpful items from this and other podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast, while carefully considered, are ultimately the opinions of the presenters and not necessarily of our employers or of any other organizations with which we are affiliated. And remember, the content of this podcast shouldn't be seen as a substitute for seeking actual personal medical care. If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. Otherwise, schedule a visit with a caring doctor to help with your concerns.